I would say this is your product, your business, your passion. So go with your gut on what works and don't be scared of putting the personal touch on it. Like nine times out of 10, it's the people behind the business that make the story better, richer, more authentic. So, and don't be scared to work with journalists. and welcome to all of my tourism friends to another exciting episode of the Tourism Chat Show. I'm Michelle and today we're delving into the heart of storytelling in tourism, a skill that's invaluable when what we're offering isn't something that you can hold in your hands. It's a topic we've touched on before, but today we're peeling back the layers to uncover the insider secrets that elevate your story making it impossible to be ignored by travel media. We have a great guest lined up and when you read her biography, it is hard not to be completely impressed. She's a freelance editor and writer, freelance editor, digital magazines, travel associates, editor of the Ski and Snowboard with Kids Annual, the editor at large for vacations and travel. She's a contributor to Escape, Explore, Vacations and Travel, Australian Geographic and Australian Geographic Adventure, Beyond and Nautilus Marine Insurance Magazine. She's a presenter on the radio. She's been a finalist and winner of Best Travel Writer, Best Hotel Story, Best Travel and Trade Story, Best Travel Blog Post, Best Travel Writer and Media Awards. And it is just absolutely my pleasure today to introduce this very special guest. Well, please enjoy this show and enjoy the interview that we have with our special guest. And don't forget, if you've loved it, you know the drill. Go and leave us a five-star review on the app that you're tuning into now. Or pop over to the socials. We're at the Tourism Chat Show on Instagram. And leave a comment on the post that you see there promoting this show. If you've got any questions, feel free to fire them through. That's what we are here for. We're here to share tips and ideas so you all become better tourism marketers. I'm thrilled to have with me today one of Australia's finest travel writers, the multi-award winning Helen Hayes. Now together we're going to explore the nuances and tricks of the trade that can truly set your travel narratives apart. Because in a world saturated with stories, it's the artful storytellers who stand out. So buckle up for a conversation that goes beyond the surface as we glean insights from the brilliant mind of Helen Hayes. Kia ora Helen and welcome. Welcome to the show. Yoda, I just have to see if I've got any brilliant part of my brain left. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully there's some left in there. Oh, I'm sure there is. We're going to extract all of that out today <laughs> for our listeners. <laughs> but look, it's great to have you on the show. And before we get into storytelling and the art of storytelling, I like to give our listeners a bit of an opportunity to get to know our guests a little bit better. And I know with you, you're very fortunate to be hosted all around the world and you've been to some pretty incredible places and written some amazing stories but when you think back what's your favorite holiday destination and what's made it so well as you know travel writers don't really go on holiday and I can never name my favorite children I do love a snowy mountain town 
Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter where they are. It can be somewhere in New Zealand or somewhere in Europe or Canada or the US or being in a tent yeah. in the African savanna. I love those places where you can actually be at one with nature, I guess. Mm-hmm. They're probably my favourites. Oh, nice. Okay. And tell me a little bit about how you got into travel writing and editing. and What what started you off in this career? I took a bit of a dog leg to get there. I started out at 17 as a radio announcer in the country. So, you know, I was spinning discs when they were actually 45s and 33s of the old people out there who remember. (laughs) (laughs) And then I ended up moving around a bit, moved to the city, and then I, I sort of morphed into copywriting. So that's that led to editing a magazine. And strangely, the first magazine I edited was a rugby league magazine for the Parramatta Eels. Wow. So that led me to travel because one of my friends was pitching for a travel magazine for Country Lick Trains and I was the only editor in you. So he put me down and so that was it. We were off and rolling. So that's sort of how I got into it. And I also was a researcher for the Great Outdoors TV show for a long time. So I managed to do print, travel and TV and all of it writing based. So, yeah, once you get into travel, you don't really want to leave, I guess. And those same skills have let me do all kinds of other things. Yeah, oh, brilliant. Yeah, we often say that it gets into your blood and it is very hard to leave the industry. So interesting that that's happened to you as well. What in your experience makes for a good tourism story? Look, that's a hard question to answer, but basically if it's an authentic experience, mm-hmm. we all want, we all love that word, but it basically just means real and something that's not curated. Like we've all sort of turned away a bit from that oh, it's three o'clock, the tourists are coming, let's get ready kind of thing. And and it's got to be something that the person experienced that is going to feel mm-hmm. and find their own way to work with that. So it, it needs to be something that has a story behind it. Like there's a lot of great historical things around New Zealand and Australia everywhere. There's history in every company pretty much. Mm. So if you can hang stuff on history, the people who set it up, what was it like back in the day, what's happened over the years, that's always great for storytelling. I just went to an event last week. The company is turning 100 in two years. They've got a really good story to tell. They've gone from Mm. one car, like a Ford I think it was, to buses and trains and planes and ships all over. So on a smaller scale, you can even have a very small business that can still have that history. And, you know, you've got to put love into it. You've got to love doing it. So mm. if you love it, then your love and your passion for it will shine through. Yeah, I often say that I'm working with a, a new business at the moment and that they just started up through COVID. So obviously they don't have that rich history in their business because they're only a couple of years old but what they certainly do have is the passion and the love and that real connection with nature and people and I think that that's made them a very special experience as a result of that. Yes, that sounds exactly right. And also the if they're in the outdoors, then the outdoors has history. Mm. So that's always a, a good way of, of getting that covered, something that's been around for a while. And in new, new people are fabulous. New businesses are great because they're coming in with new ideas and new eyes, fresh eyes, and, you know, they know that sometimes today people want things done a different way. Yeah. 
Yeah. So how do you, when you're editing or you're receiving press releases, media releases, what do you look for in that? I mean, we've touched on that love and passion, but how do you pull that out of a, a media release or a pitch that somebody's sending you to try and get some coverage for their business? Well, I've just edited a few magazines. I I guest edited Vacations, which I did for 16 years. So it was great to get back into that editor's seat. And the pitch, sometimes it's hard for public relations experts to, because they're expected to churn out X number of releases or something. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they might be pushed into sending releases that are not they don't have something specific. So I think that the key thing is only send them when you've actually got something to say and you've got images to back it up mm. and also know who your audience is. Like if you're sending a product that's hiking, research all the hiking magazines and the hiking websites and, and find out who that marketing person is and, the, and the, who is going to publish it, who is going to read it. Mm. So therefore it's got to be relevant. Like also is it a quarterly magazine like Vacations is? Um, no point sending a press release that's about something that's in two weeks' time mm. because that just fills up editors' inboxes. <laughs> and the other thing is make sure you personally email them, dear Helen, not yeah. dear editor, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. not not dear Katrina or somebody who's editor of another magazine and they just haven't <laughs> updated it properly. <laughs> <laughs> the old copy and paste. <laughs> yeah, the old copy and paste. You know, many times I've got emails that were for like let's say vacations but they're actually in it it mentions other magazines so look it doesn't mean that I'm going to scrap it all together because everyone's busy and everyone's pumped for time so but anyway yeah you make sure that it is concise you don't want to read war and peace and Mm. if there is an image in it that's even better because sometimes editors are just they're on deadline they're looking for news on hotels that they need so they look Mm -hmm. through their inbox oh look there's a new hotel that's opened is there an image yes oh good and it's a good image fantastic so then they're going to use it so yeah and I would say a clever subject line if you're pitching to an editor Mm -hmm. so they know exactly what it is Mm -hmm. and find that angle that is unique to you I would say Yeah, that's really good advice. How do you feel about the, you know, because we've talked a little bit about the press release kind of concept and I've been in that position with agencies that I've worked with, PR agencies, and obviously you want to get that good flow of stories coming out, particularly if you're in a larger business and there's lots happening. But what do you think around the pitching almost exclusively to an editor or to a journalist that you know really specialises in your field versus, hey, here's a press release, I'm going to scatter it out to everybody and hopefully somebody will pick it up. Yeah, look, it depends on the new. It depends what it is, I mm. suppose. But if you're thinking that there might be like a familiar around it, then definitely cherry pick the writers that you trust and know and the editors because these days a lot of the invites go through editors. Mm-hmm. So definitely if you think that xyz at blah is going to do a great job for you then give them that exclusive opportunity Mm. Uh, because also you're right at the other end of the day you don't want to see every man and his dog well you probably do (laughs) publishing your news but at the end of the day you need to be a bit more exclusive generally speaking yeah. And and given that we're talking about storytelling, obviously a press release where you're just saying, here's some news and please publish it, 
that's yeah. there's not a lot of I guess scope in there to to tell a story with it is there so it's no nice look if it's an opening it's like who what where when that's all great but if you want them to do something broader then here are five story starters blah blah and blah and blah mm-hmm. and yeah so sometimes people are looking for a quick something that they can get online because they might be short a story for a newsletter or something so mm-hmm. that is also quite important and there's one thing that really irritates me (laughs) and it's nothing to do with the people who actually do it but if someone sends you a press release and I I might have seen it in my email yesterday or the day before or the day before don't ring me and then don't ring me again (laughs) because it's like I'm not going to answer your call for a start and if I do answer it by accident I'm going to really regret it (laughs) yeah because I know again it's just trying to get my bang for your buck but if an editor really wants to run it they're going to run it and especially Mm -hmm. if you provided that image they shouldn't need to come to you to ask for an image then unless they want something different so yeah the ringing thing a lot of editors do not like it unless of course you know the person in that case go right ahead yeah, that's perfectly fine. Oh, and Helen, look, we know we've got this push for something, and just can you squeeze it in somewhere? Fine, that's perfectly fine. That's something that I would absolutely be happy about. Yeah, that's probably better off coming before you send the email, though. I would have thought, is it like that phone call to say, "Hey, look, this is what's happening. Have you got time? Have you got space?" Or does yeah, it not no, matter? I think the email is quite good, and if you've got that clever subject line and it's something that appeals. Uh, and it's something that's not time sensitive and works, then the editor might put that aside. Generally, they'll throw it in a folder or or a document and then they'll include it in their news if they have time. But, yeah, then just the phone call for a start, they've had 500 emails since then. They're not going to remember that you're the one who sent that email. So then you have to work out, sorry, where are you from? Oh, Oh, yeah. Okay, yes. And then it's like, oh, I don't know if I'm using that or not yet. And I find I get quite flustered because I want to help everybody. <laughs> and and so and so it's like, mm, yeah, maybe. Yes, maybe I could. <laughs> I think I read that somewhere. <laughs> I think I saw that. <laughs> and for new businesses, we touched on this earlier, but what do you suggest that they include? to make them stand out if they haven't got, because I'm talking some smaller businesses yeah. here in New Zealand who don't necessarily have budgets to work with PR agencies. So they're, they're yes. doing their own research. They're trying to find connections with editors and publications that they think will fit with them. What are the tips that you can give them? To okay. Well, look, them? first and foremost, the number one thing is you have to get great images. So if you know a photographer, a friend, even better, but you must have great images mm-hmm. and because they're going to tell the story of your business. And like I said, if an editor receives a press release and there's a really great image in there, then they're going to want to run it because it's the image that sometimes wins the day for you. Mm. So pay photographers and videographers and drone flyers to get a suite of images that best show your product. And don't just do one shoot. Do different shoots so you can send different shots at different times of year. You might have Mm -hmm. a summer one and you might have a winter one. But you do have to spend the money on that. So And don't take the cheap option. Get somebody who's tried and true because it will pay off for you because those images, as long as you get all the correct credits and um, permissions, you'll be able to use them for a long time Mm -hmm. and it will really benefit you. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the a, number one thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point because quite often you'll see that operators may be trying to save some money when they're initially starting out and they don't yeah. get those high res images and they might still have a beautiful image that they've taken or managed to capture themselves or one of their guests has or somebody they know, but it's not high enough res. And the last thing you want is a magazine oh. to give you that opportunity for a cover and you're like, oh, it's yeah. too low resolution. So That's it, exactly know. right. That's exactly right. So, And you can use images that your guests might have taken, but you make sure you have, they've signed the right form and, all, and you've got the raw shot and all that kind of thing. The more images you have, the better. You've got to do landscape, portrait shots, all of it, because some magazines want different shots. Some want square. So just provide a whole plethora of images showing off your business and it would it'll just so work out it really will and yeah. you know that's where uh influencers um come into it too because some people like hosting them and then they get great video and they always look great so if you can arrange that kind of a deal then that's a different sort of way of going about it mm. so definitely you want to be able to illustrate what your business is and why people will want to come yes yes for sure that's that's great. And are there any specific platforms or strategies that you recommend for building relationships with travel editors? Uh, look, you know, there's things like Travmedia's IMM in Sydney. If mm-hmm. you if you can arrange the, can you get there? Great, because it's a really good way of getting in front of a whole lot of editors and travel writers at IMM. It's the international media marketplace. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you would know of it. It happens in February and. Basically, you've got a truckload of really great journalists from all over Australia come and they meet with you and hear your story. And it's a terrific way to meet new people. And then let's say you want to meet another editor who isn't there, then you can organise perhaps to have a coffee with them or something and get in front of them at some point. So that's a really good way of doing it because sometimes it's just a matter of knowing, oh, that sounds like a really great business. Love that. And then you might connect with one or two writers, you might end up hosting them and you'll get some really good coverage. So that's a terrific idea. Also, you have to be hosting on LinkedIn and on the socials. Mm-hmm. I know I find it quite tiring as well, let alone if I <laughs> if I needed to do it for business. But yeah, you need to be up there and relevant and looking at things and reading things and interacting with editors. And that way also you get to know the sort of stuff they like. Yeah. And the sort of things that they post that and the sort of things that they run. Yeah. So and if there's media events in New Zealand, definitely go to them. You've got a lot of networking events there too. So just go to them. It's the best way to build up the network of contacts and even like hanging out with other people who also have small businesses mm. and they might not be a competitor of yours, but you will learn from each other. And it's all in the relationships is the key word for sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you mentioned there about hosting journalists in your business. How should a business go about inviting media to come and experience their their offer? Well, probably the easiest way, and I'm sure I'd love your opinion on that too, is work with your local tourism board, Mm -hmm. the region, or of course you've got Tourism New Zealand. Attend those industry events so you can pick up the tips from other businesses similar to your own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you can even look at combining with other non-competing businesses in your area. You might have like a hotel or a rural experience, an, act, an adventure experience and something else to invite journalists over. Like that way you're pulling your money 
and you mm. can all put money into if you can't get flights hosted if they're coming from Australia or from Auckland or wherever you know you're sharing the costs yeah so that is a good way of doing it as well and of course if you're a big enough company then you can just invite them yourself three or four or five from different magazines different newspapers different websites so you're going to get a real range to best show your business in a great light Mm, yeah and yeah I've done both of those as you say there with working with our regional tourism organizations or Tourism New Zealand obviously have a very impressive international media program that we can tie into as well but I've also worked with other operators to do it a little bit separately from the RTO because the stories that you're telling doesn't always fall into you know, the plan that they've got for the year and, and both have worked equally well in my experience, but um, obviously some are easier than others depending on yeah your budget and where you sit and the relationships you've got. But Absolutely. Yeah, it comes down to connecting with those right people and as you say, the relationships and if you're sitting there and you're only talking to one part of Tourism New Zealand and you haven't engaged with their media team, well, maybe this is the call that you need to say, hey, let's go and get in touch with them and and make friends with them as well so they know what we do. No, absolutely. But yeah, I've been on all kinds of them, of course, and it's sort of nice to go on something that's been curated by locals in their local region and getting to meet the people firsthand rather than on a bigger destination-based thing that might be a little bit more rushed and, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They're all good, but yeah, there's great ways to do both. And yeah, I agree. And do you think there's any differences? Like a lot of tourism operators will have hosted travel trade a lot. Like we get a lot of travel agents, inbound operators and travel sellers coming through our businesses for for mills. What do you see as the key differences? Are there any when we're putting together a for mill for journalists? Yes, they absolutely there there is. I obviously I'm not an expert. I haven't been on many familiars that travel agents have been on Mm -hmm. but they tend to go to a town let's say they're going to Topor and they're not just going to look at the hotel they're staying in they're going to do tours of loads of hotels in the area because they want to see as much as they as they can in that area because then they've got more to share with with their buyers back Mm -hmm. home so deaf and they're not as interested in the history of a business or they still want to do the experiences because, again, they're selling them. So, But it's a little bit different. Travel writers are looking for the more real experiences. They're going to spend a bit more time. It's not going to be as rushed. Mm-hmm. And But mind you, sometimes they are. But, yeah, that's that's the main difference. Like we, yeah. Travel writers, don't, there's no point us looking at 10 different hotels um, unless we're doing a story on 10 great hotels yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> around Taupo but um but yeah we we want to make sure that we're paying back the hotel we are staying in properly yes so yeah, yeah so that that is a bit of a key consideration but travel advisors are so important and they really work hard when they go on those trips. It's I couldn't keep yep. up with them, that's for sure. Yeah, there's nothing glamorous about doing no. a travel seller for mill, I can tell you that. No, <laughs> no there isn't. Yep. 
And no, that's, yeah, that's great advice because I think what I'm getting from that is that if you're hosting journalists, it's more around almost curating an itinerary that somebody would do if they were coming to the region. And then there's some, I guess, angle or familiarity between all of those experiences that tie it together. So whether it's a girls weekend in Taupo or adventure or ski product or whatever it is that everything kind of ties in quite nicely together. So the story makes sense at the other end. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And I must say one of the mistakes that some of the regions and familiar hosts make is that they fill the days from sun up to midnight. You need to try and get some air into mm. those itineraries. So time for the journalists to breathe, yep. some free time to find their own angles, yep. and also time to actually experience the product. So if you've got a beautiful property on a lakeside, you know, let them wander around by the lake, let them sit by the lake and read a book Mm. like your guests do because they need to experience the thing that makes it appealing to people who like staying there. So I remember the worst thing that, well, not the worst, but we arrived in this incredible hotel in Cape Town in, might have been in the Stellenbosch region. We arrived at 11 o'clock at night Mm -hmm. and we left at 4 a.m. So that was absolutely pointless because... We didn't even see it. Yeah. And I, w- I felt really sorry for the for the owners. They were fabulous and they went to great trouble having a nice hot meal when we got there, but everyone was so tired they just went straight to bed and then we're gone. Yeah. So that was kind of no point. We always want to see it properly, want time to wander around, take photos, maybe look at it from a, across the lake, a, a different kind of a view to try mm. and get our own little angles. And another tip was, We do want to try the food and wine in your location. There's no doubt. And unless we're there on a specific food and wine for meal, try not to overdo it. You know, we really don't need a three-course lunch and a degustation dinner every day because it's a lot of time. And, yes, I'm sure the restaurants are fabulous, but there's all all those other things that we would would rather see. Yeah. So... I would definitely maybe try and hone in on just one really great meal a day and then whether that's lunch or dinner and then we sometimes just want like a simple sandwich or something because when you're eating like that, it's not good for the diet. (laughs) No, we often joke that the meals are just from one eating experience to the next. So, yeah, that's really interesting you've given that feedback because I think that's really good and something for us to think about as well when we're putting those itineraries together because obviously we love to share food. and Oh, look, New Zealand's food is absolutely (laughs) next level. So don't get me wrong. It's not because we're not going to like it. We are going to like it. But also we want to see the the incredible scenery and and the the mountains and the rivers and the lakes and everything that you have because you've got so much. So let us out in there rather than sitting inside a, a restaurant for too many hours a day. Yeah. And when you're away like that, how much writing do you do? Because I'm assuming you're going to be taking notes and... Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I use uh, two methods. I I use my phone to take photos of everything, signboards, brochures, menus, everything, so that I have a record of everything we've done. Plus I'll have the itinerary that's been provided, but I do take notes And if I find, there's so many characters that you find on these trips and I love them. And if I get a chance, I might 
see if there's time for me to interview one of those, mm-hmm. whether it be a chef or a farmer or or somebody who's running a bike tour or, a, you know, a ski instructor, somebody yeah. like that. Yep. So that's all fantastic. So, yes, there's definitely a lot of note-taking goes on. And I do it in my phone now because mm-hmm. I used to take notes in notebooks, but then sometimes you lose the notebook. So <laughs> if it's in the phone, you don't lose it. Yes, yes, true. It's amazing how that's changed our world, having everything on our phones these days, isn't it? But It's certainly good, but, yeah, sometimes my writing and when they take shortcuts on your phone and you think, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) But then you can look back at your photo and you go, oh. That's what it is, yeah. (laughs) I'm a bit like that. that. Even I mean, I don't write, but I'm a bit like that. When I travel, I like to take the photos of the storyboards and the menus and because you might be with a tour or just self-guiding, but... It's just important for me sometimes to have that information that I can look back on. So it's, yeah. And it's also good as evidence in a way, because sometimes you get sub editors and that who are wanting to check your story, but websites are not always correct or up to date. So if I've gone somewhere and I've got the menu and I've got a photo and it says, you know, and I'll have checked that this menu is still running, then that's what it is it's it might not be on the website but that's here here's the image of the menu so yeah yeah go with that or something like that anyway it's just really good to have it in your phone and just try and send them to a dropbox or make sure you back them up and put them in a properly marked folder because otherwise they just become one of thousands of photos and you may not remember whether that was switzerland or new zealand Yes, I know. I've just started, like, I'm really ashamed to actually say this. I've just started using folders on my phone. And I think I have, let me have a look. It is something ridiculous. Like, what's it saying to me? I have something like 50,000 photos and my phone oh, yeah. so it's yeah I need to find folders I'm trying to look at mine but yeah, yeah. no there's a lot too <laughs> you many. can't see anything it's way too many way too many yeah 51,159 in my recent folder so I am in the process of clearing those all up look Good as, for a, you. <laughs> as a wrap up do you have any final thoughts or tips for our listeners who are mostly tourism operators we do have RTOs that that tune in on a weekly basis as well but anything else you'd like to share I would say this is your product your business your passion so go with your gut on what works and don't be scared of putting the personal touch on it like nine times out of ten it's the people behind a business that make the story better richer more authentic so and don't be scared to work with journalists just make sure everyone understand what the deliverables are beforehand because you don't want there to be any confusion on what they're going to do and what you're going to provide and if possible make sure that everything's clear in the itinerary like make sure you've got them picked up from the airport for instance because sometimes we really end up out of pocket because we have to get our own way from the airport to somewhere and then you don't expect every meal buying our own breakfast is absolutely fine but just make sure everyone knows everyone knows and if there are tips that are expected are they being covered what is the tip meant to be the more information you give the better it is for the writer because there Mm -hmm. are going to be no shocks for sure the other thing I would say is for writers out there always be kind always nurture your relationships and not in a fake way don't be smarmy to editors just actually keep in touch with them in a good way and 
message them now and again if you are in town have a coffee don't be always wanting something you know ask about their family their kids and mean it and always thank your hosts when you return from a trip and always deliver what you said you would you don't want to be that person who goes on a trip and then years later you've done nothing nobody likes those people so don't be those people (laughs) don't be that guy (laughs) yeah and uh, just for writers is um Make sure you read your final drafts out loud. That's just such an easy tip. And even really experienced writers forget that sometimes. If you can't read it properly and smoothly, then your readers won't be doing it either. So, and help the editor out by writing a heading and a stand first or a lead, whatever you want to call it. You know the story better than anyone. And I would just say, yeah, just be proud of your business, which you've set up and work with good people. And if you are working with good people, That doesn't mean you work with them over and over again. Try and use different people for different publications who have different takes on things. Mm. So you might host a food and wine writer this time and host an adventure writer next time and host somebody who's a bit of everything, a family writer another time. So, yeah, all those kind of things. Mm. Awesome. And I've got one last question that just popped up while you were sitting there. A lot of companies and I've had managers like this in the past who have expected to see copy mm-hmm. before it goes live yeah and obviously in some situations that's been easier than others to get but I guess the overall principle is that when you're hosting somebody you're trusting them to put their own spin on the story and the experience rather than you having absolute control over that am I like what what do you say to that Absolutely right. If you're inviting the right people, they're going to be diligent and they're going to do a great job on promoting your product, but they're not there to advertise your product. So if they find something, they're not going to always be glowing in some areas. You know what I mean? Like, And so some newspapers particularly want there to be something that might need fixing in there, but not all. And... I would never let anybody see my stories because it's my story, it's my take. Mm-hmm. I will check facts with them though yep. because we all make mistakes. So I would might ring up or email and say just checking yep. that this year is this year date is correct, that this name is correct. And that's the main thing. No one wants mistakes to go out there. Mm. But, yeah, it's not a, a good thing to ask them to send their story unless it's like a native paid gig. Yep. In which case, we're just the mouthpiece for them. Yes. Yep. And what you're paying for is for someone to have a real experience. Otherwise, you could be one of those terrible people who just use AI or Google because you're paying for their thoughts, their take, their experience. So you have to be happy with that. Yes. Yep. Great advice. Look, we've just got our quick fire round to go. Yeah. I know we've probably gone a little bit over time. Sorry. No, no. It's fascinating to talk to you and I could sit here and talk all afternoon, (laughs) but (laughs) let's do our little quick fire and get to know Helen a little bit better. So who is the most famous person in your phone contacts? Probably Lane Beachley, the surfer. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great surf champion. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And if there was a movie about your life, who would play you? Well, there won't be, but a slightly plumper Helen Mirren. (laughs) Maybe. I I love Helen Helen Mirren. (laughs) Me too. 
she just need to put on some kilos to play me <laughs> and lose a few years although she does yeah. look great but oh, true. <laughs> yeah, she does look great yeah uh, what's your favorite book one Crowded Hour by Tim Bowden, and it's written about cameraman Neil Davis. It's such a great book. If you haven't got it in your library, I highly recommend it. Mm, okay, I'll check that one out. What's one thing that you've done that you would never do again? I would never climb the highest outdoor building in the world. It's called City Climb in New York City, and you're up 102 stories climbing up steps on the outside of a building. Oh, It was quite freaky and my legs were just going what are you doing do you literally and climb from the ground up no you go up a like, lift to like the 100th or the 99th or something yeah. and then you have to walk up these stairs it's all very safe you're attached yeah. by you could be two elephants and you wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't fall off even if you did it would hold you but then you lean out over the edge and oh. you've got manhattan down down there and it's so freaky it's yeah. just yeah, I did it and I was very proud of myself, but I don't think I need to do it again. <laughs> You've ticked the box. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Who is your hero? Look, you know what? No one person. I think I admire anyone who helps others and likes to give more than receiving. And people who obviously go out of their way to promote nature and, and environment and conservation and just being kind. Hmm. Nice. And what's your favourite New Zealand destination? I know you said you can't play favourite children, but come on. I know you've been here a few times. <laughs> well, I'd have to say all of it because every time I go to New Zealand, it is just so beautiful. Uh, if I had to pull one out, skiing, I, I've been, as you know, I've skied there a few bit. I love it. I love the skiing. Yep. But I really loved being on Milford Sound mm. on the Fiordland Jewel. Or was, is that the name? It's Fjordland Discoveries. It's a really good company. And just waking up one morning and it was all misty and foggy and I'm on this beautiful boat and I can see waterfalls and there are dolphins outside. And it's like, yeah, that's, I really love Milford Sound just because yeah. it's so ethereal. Yes. Yeah, it is a beautiful spot. Well, look, Helen, that ends all the questions that I've got for you today. So a big thank you for joining us on the Tourism Chat Show. And I'm sure that everyone will love the tips that you've shared. You've been very generous with sharing your experience and obviously tips and advice for listeners wanting to tell better stories to media and get their stories out there. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Michelle. It's been so lovely to talk to you. Yeah, and we'll catch up again soon. I hope so. <laughs> Kakite. Kakite.